Welcome to Farm to Stable, a science-based equine nutrition podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nettie Leibert. I'm a lifelong horse person and professional equine nutritionist with the goal of helping horses and their humans create balanced diets to set them up for success, no matter what age, discipline, or circumstance. Disclaimer, the information discussed here is based on current scientific research and is for educational purposes only. Every horse's individual needs vary. This is not a substitute for veterinary medicine or nutrition consultation. Hello and welcome to another episode of Farm to Stable, an equine nutrition podcast. I'm your host, as always, Dr. Nettie Leibert. And this week, we're going to talk about performance horse nutrition part one. So I'm going to do this in, uh, well, obviously, two parts. You've probably gotten that idea already. Um, But I want to start with, again, just going back to some basic nutrition, because I talk a lot on this program about being careful about carbohydrates and forage analysis. And uh, I want to talk a little bit, I want to integrate that about how that may affect your performance horse. So we spend a lot of time practicing with our horses. We invest in time. We invest in money. We take care of them from a medical veterinary standpoint. But you have to think about the diet. Of course, you're thinking about the diet. That's why you're listening to this. And if you put poor nutrition in, you're going to get poor performance out. It's the same if you're a horse or a person or a working dog or whatever the case may be. Junk in equals junk out. So a healthy diet supports performance. All horses have the same basic needs. We know this, water, forage, shelter, veterinary and farrier care. But what makes a performance horse different? Well, they're, horses, if you haven't noticed, are really very much amazing athletes. They can sprint. They can jump. They have endurance capabilities. They can dance and dressage. They can do ranch work. They teach people how to ride. They teach people to heal. There are many, many equine therapeutic programs that are proven to help humans deal with mental illness or physical disability. Horses are amazing. And all of these horses, whether they are a therapeutic horse, whether they are a show jumper, whether they are a bowel race, to some degree, they are all performance horses. But what makes a performance horse's nutritional needs different? Generally, they have higher energy requirements compared to a horse at maintenance who's, you know, maybe hanging out, maybe a weekend warrior. They generally need more calories and they need energy to sustain work but without gaining excess weight. It's more than just physical training. It's fuel for work. Think of it, uh, you know, if your car doesn't have fuel in it or if it's not charged, it's not going to run. So if a horse lacks energy and nutrients, if you lack energy and nutrients, you can't perform, right? If you've ever gone too long without eating something and you're in the middle of the day, it's maybe three o'clock, you skip lunch and your head is a mess, you can't really focus. Well, it's kind of the same, same idea here. Nutrients are generally defined as any feed constituent that's necessary for life. And we've got nutrients that serve as components of the body, like proteins and minerals, that can enhance all the chemical reactions that make the body work, vitamins and minerals. Again, sources of energy, in particular fat and carbohydrates, and to some degree, of course, digestible fiber. 
transporting things into and throughout the body is very important. And we need water to help regulate body temperature, of course. And feed taste. It's important. If you don't like it, you're not going to eat it, in which case it's pointless. So main energy sources include fat and carbohydrates. And carbohydrates, we've talked a lot about here on Farm to Stable, Many sources of carbohydrates include things like grains, corn, oats, barley, things like that. Uh, Carbohydrate is a fancy word for sugar. It's a general term. Now you have sugars and you have starches. Sugars are simple, small molecules, one or two little glucose molecules hooked together. Starches are basically large sugar molecules. So same basic building blocks, just bigger. And carbohydrates have about four calories per gram, and they burn really quick. I was talking earlier about if you forgot to eat lunch and then, you know, you grab something like candy bar or you have a drink of orange juice or something, you almost feel better instantly, within a few minutes, certainly. It's that quick burning energy, like bursting out of the gate or bursting over a jump or running out of the gate down the barrel pattern. It burns very fast. Now, the problem with that is you don't get a lot of sustained energy, but we're going to get into that in uh, this and the next program. Fat is something that comes from oils, from seeds, for example, and it has nine calories per gram. So more than double what you get in a carbohydrate. And fat is burned in a different way in the body for energy than carbohydrates. It takes longer. It's more your endurance work. This is what sustains you through Uh, an all-day horse show, or a long trail ride, or even you personally, if you take a, a long walk, something like that. So it's more your endurance energy. Carbohydrates are a main energy source in equine diets. Carbohydrates are the preferred energy source of things like the brain. So you cannot eliminate carbohydrates from the diet completely. And in performance horses, they actually become quite necessary for exercise recovery. And carbohydrates come in two forms, structural and non-structural. Again, we've talked a lot about the non-structural carbohydrates. These are your sugars and your starches that break down quickly, that are broken down by digestive enzymes in the small intestine. Structural carbohydrates Think fiber, right? Think of what gives a plant structure or rigidity, cellulose, hemicellulose, lignin, things like this. These actually cannot be broken down in the gut. The horse himself can't do it. This is why we need that vast microbial microbial ecosystem in the horse's hindgut, because those bacteria actually break down that cellulose and hemicellulose and lignin to some degree, And the byproducts of them fermenting on it or breaking it down provide energy for the horse. Fat, again, necessary as a carrier for fat-soluble vitamins. So these are your ADEC, right? Vitamin A, D, E, and K. You need fat for these vitamins to be absorbed in the body. Fat is required to supply essential fatty acids in the diet. And if you're thinking, hmm... 
omega-3s and omega-6s? Yes, you are correct. And fat is often used to add energy to the diet, as we've talked about here. Um, It's what we call cool calories, right? Because I mentioned earlier, it takes a long time to burn. It's not like you get a quick rush of energy and then a crash. It's more of a slow, sustained release of energy, or why we call them cool calories from fat. Supplemental fat and oil is highly digestible in the horse when it's introduced to the diet properly. Horses that are adapted to fat supplementation may what we call spare glucose. And typically, those are horses in low to moderate exercise. They're not at high intensity exercise. But when you spare glucose, you may be able to stave off that burn you feel in your muscles because that burn is a buildup of lactic acid from burning glucose. It's a natural part of exercise. It's supposed to happen. uh, But that's one reason why adapting to fat in some situations may help to stave off that fatigue effect. I'd be remiss if I did not mention protein again. Proteins are made up of amino acids, as we've talked about a lot here. They're the letters of the alphabet that make up the words that are proteins. And they're essential for everything. Muscles, hormones, blood, neurotransmitters, connective tissue, and more. And they should not ideally be used for energy. Now, can protein be used for energy? Yes, it can. But it's typically an emergency situation that that happens. Uh, when the body will break down protein from muscles, for example, for energy, if it is in a state of extreme starvation, for example. Um, And using protein for energy is inefficient from a metabolic point of view. You don't get a lot of energy and you get a lot of excess heat production. So ideally, protein should not be used as an energy source. But that said, as you know, it is necessary for just about (laughs) uh, everything else from muscles to hormones to everything. Protein is the second major component of the body next to water. It's second only to water. And different proteins contain different combinations and numbers of those amino acids. Remember, amino acids are the letters, proteins are the words. So you can put those letters together in vast amount of combinations to get different words or different proteins, and they all have a different function. Now, most horses on average, need roughly about 10% in their total diet. So everything they eat in a day. That does not mean that if you're feeding a grain concentrate, that's 12% protein, or a ration balancer that's 32% protein, that it's too much. That's not what that means. We'll get into those details later. But horses who are working heavily, and I'm talking race horses here, I'm talking the combined driving horses, the show jumpers, high-level dressage horses, they may have elevated protein needs. Pregnant mares have tremendous increase in their protein in their last trimester and even almost a huge increase in the first three months of lactation. Growing horses have higher protein needs. And to some, in some cases, horses that are sick and are recovering from an illness have higher protein needs that they need to just help them heal. Water, of course. Did I say this before? I think I have. It is the most important thing. A lack of water is more fatal to a horse than a lack of food. And your average 1,000-pound horse needs anywhere from about 5 to 15 gallons per day more in hot, humid climates, more with exercise, and more, of course, with the increasing amount of forage in the diet. It's essential for digestion, for regulating body temperature, and, of course, lactation for those pregnant, ma- and pregnant mares and lactating mares. 
And remember, I mentioned this just a second ago, when you increase the forage content of a horse's diet, they need more water to help digest that forage. And water intake tends to decrease if you're feeding a lot of grain because horses aren't chewing as much. They need more with more forage. So that's another reason why forage is important. Ambient temperature can affect water intake. Cold weather does tend to reduce intake. As I record this, it's cold outside and it is something that we think about in the winter. Warmer water does tend to increase intake. Higher humidity demands more water because the horse cannot cool himself as efficiently in a humid climate. You know this if you live in a humid climate, how much harder it is when you walk outside and you instantly start to to condense and it's hard to harder to cool off in humid water. There is very little information on do horses prefer hot or warm or cold water. Now, there was a study done and they offered horses warm water and cold water. And what did they prefer? Well, they preferred the warm water. But if cold water was their only option, they tended to drink more of it. Now, that was just one study. So the jury's still out. But as long as that water is not frozen and it's clean and relatively fresh, that is a good thing. We know sweating and exercise is going to increase needs. Haven't forgotten about electrolytes. Electrolytes are essential for proper hydration. So it's not just about drinking enough water. It's also about making sure in your performance horse, well, in all horses, but especially in your performance horse, that you have enough electrolytes. Now, your big three, sodium, potassium, and chloride, are key as water regulators. We also have magnesium and calcium that are electrolytes, but water follows salt. So if you have sodium chloride, salt, um, water is going to go where it goes. If salt leaves the body, so will water. If salt is absorbed into the body, so will water. Uh, So kind of key there. Electrolytes carry an electrical charge. If you remember way back to high school chemistry, or maybe you're taking it now, uh, they're minerals. They are charged. Sodium has a positive charge. Chloride has a negative charge. That's why sodium chloride, they stick together, they form salt. And those positive and negative charge interactions are very important for normal muscle contraction and relaxation. There are these little channels within the muscles that can regulate what comes in and what goes out. Your sodium potassium channels, your calcium channels, and I'm not going to get into the details of that, but these tiny little microscopic channels that you probably didn't know were there until just now are very, very important to make sure the muscles contract and relax properly. And if there's a malfunction with these little gatekeepers, it can lead to muscle cramping, poor performance, uh, and some other things. So electrolytes are really key. Electrolyte balance is really key. We know vitamins, very important in feedstuffs. They are present in small amounts. They're essential for normal metabolism. And if you don't have enough of certain vitamins, it can cause disease or illness. So I mentioned the fat-soluble vitamins earlier, your ADEC, A-D-E-K, vitamin A, important for vision and immune health, vitamin D, you actually need vitamin D to absorb calcium. Yes, you do. Vitamin E, we've talked about a lot, is an important antioxidant and very, very helpful for muscle, nerve, and health of your cells, and vitamin K for blood clotting. Now, you also have water-soluble vitamins. So water-soluble vitamins are not stored in the body, right? The things you take in and what your body doesn't use, you eliminate usually via the urine. Vitamin C, also an antioxidant. Now, the horse makes vitamin C in the liver. People can't do that, but horses can. 
Also, B vitamins are water-soluble. So energy, immune health, appetite, more. So, And the microbes in the hindgut do produce B vitamins. We're still not 100% sure how much the horse actually absorbs uh, from the hindgut, but we know that these microbes produce B vitamins, and that's one reason why horses don't necessarily have a hard requirement, per se, of your entire B complex vitamins. More to come. Minerals usually macro and micro, and I'll talk about what the difference is, but they're critical for overall health, but they only make up a very tiny fraction of the diet. Why minerals, enzymes, energy, hormones, amino acids, electrolytes, these are acid-base balance in the body. These are just some things uh, that minerals do. And your macro minerals, we measure these in the diet in the form of grams. So think of a paperclip. Paperclip weighs roughly one gram. These are, your macro minerals are calcium, phosphorus, magnesium, potassium, sodium, chlorine, sulfur. And then you have your micro minerals. These are measured in milligrams, so a thousandth of a gram. So one one thousandth of that paperclip. These are things like iodine, copper, zinc, cobalt, iron, selenium. So very, very small amounts, but still very essential in the diet. And also can be, in some cases, certain of those minerals, in particular selenium uh, and iron, can be toxic, iodine even, if you have too much. So that's why balance is key. And then one mineral, remember I mentioned minerals have charges. If you have certain uh, mineral imbalances, they can actually prevent the absorption of other ones. So it's not just about throwing minerals in front of your horse. It needs to be done in balance. Now, when you buy a commercial product, hopefully they've done that work for you uh, and you don't have to worry about it. But generally, long story short, that's why us nutritionists have jobs to make sure that those minerals are in proper balance. I've talked a ton about fiber as the basis for the diet, uh, so I'm not going to belabor that point too much here, maybe just a little bit, but at minimum, 50% of the diet should be from forage or some type of forage supplement, whether that's hay cubes or beet pulp or whatever. Um, for your horses that are working, sometimes forage alone is not enough, and that's when we bring in our grain concentrates uh, or even you know fat supplements, things like that. That fiber, hey, we know it takes a longer time to digest. It's digested slower. The chewing action helps promote saliva production, which helps to buffer the acid in the stomach. It's important for maintaining gut motility. So lots of things here. And as I mentioned earlier, the horse, no animal really, can digest that fiber. But that's why we have bacteria in our gut. That's why you hear so much talk about the microbiome and how important they are. Or rather, that's one reason why you'll hear why the microbiome is so important. We can get into the immune system and other things another time. Um, but byproducts of that bacterial fermentation, for example, are things called volatile fatty acids. And I have mentioned this before, but those VFAs can provide some B vitamins and 30 to 70% of a horse's energy needs. Think about that. That's pretty amazing. So where do you start when you're feeding your performance horse? Well, of course, you're going to think about what is that horse's job? Is that horse a sprinter? They may need more carbohydrates for quick energy. Is that horse an endurance horse? Well, those horses may need more fat for that sustained energy release to keep them going a long time. 
of course, there is a balance between the two. It is not a switch. It is not all one or the other, all or nothing. But it can, the the diet that you, or the food that you put into your horse, as I mentioned earlier, is going to influence, can potentially influence their performance here. So if you need those big bursts of energy, jumping, cutting, things like that, you definitely need to make sure, for example, that you have that delicate balance. At what level do you train your horse? Where do you aspire to? Lower levels of training don't always equate to low energy. It depends on your horse. Think about uh, a thoroughbred compared to a warm blood. Very often, we do not feed these horses the same. Now, that's a general statement, of course, uh, but harder efforts are going to require more calories. The higher you go, the harder you train, the more frequently you compete. Bigger jumps, longer rides, faster distances. And again, individual horses differ. Breed, temperament, metabolism. So it's very important to know your horse. And we ask people a lot, how much does your horse train? It's like, oh, my horse is in heavy work. Chances are he's not. So the National Research Council has actually set some numbers to how we define light, medium, heavy, and very heavy work. Light work, think of this as your weekend warrior. Maybe you ride one to three hours a week, mostly walking and trotting, maybe a little canter thrown in here and there. On the other extreme is your very heavy work. These are your racehorses. These are your high-level eventers, things of that nature. And everybody else usually falls in between somewhere. So you're very heavy. These horses could be working one hour a week of speed work to 6 to 12 hours a week of maybe some slower work. Medium horses, uh, medium workloads. This is where a lot of horses fall, three to five hours per week, Maybe half of that is trotting, uh, maybe another 30% is walking and the rest cantering, maybe a jump, some jumping, things in there. Heavy work, again, this may be closer to four to five hours a week, more trot, more canter, uh, a little less walking and some heavier efforts, whether that is running a pattern or jumping jumps or a little longer duration of exercise. So it's a general guideline. Don't worry if you didn't get all that, but that's generally how we define light, medium, and heavy and very heavy work. So unless you have an elite, elite athlete horse, chances are they're not in very heavy work. And of course there is maintenance, but we're talking performance horses here. So it's a little bit subjective, but there is some estimation of how we define those categories of work. And that does affect dietary recommendations. How much uh, protein do you need? How many calories does that horse need? And of course, other things too, breed temperament, as I mentioned. But these are things to think about when thinking about your performance horse. And don't just think of the performance horse as the elite show horse or the horse that's competing every weekend. How about that saintly lesson horse in your barn? That animal is a performance horse, for sure. How many lessons does that horse give a week? How many children does that horse teach to ride? Yes. So think a little bit out of the box about what could constitute a performance horse. So it's not just the ones that get all the ribbons. So I'm going to stop there. And next week in part two, we're going to talk a little more detail about specific diets for different types of horses. So I just love to give some of this background again and review it. It's always good to go back and revisit. So if you have any questions, if there's a topic you'd like to hear, you know what to do. Reach out, send an email to equinenutritionphd at yahoo.com. 
And of course, love to hear your topic ideas. We're here for you. Thank you so much for listening and go out and hug your performance horse. Or if they're not a performance horse, go out and hug them anyway. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Farm to Stable, a science-based equine nutrition podcast. Please share and subscribe if you found the content interesting. And if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, send it to equinenutritionphd at yahoo.com.